Good morning, everyone. So today, if you haven't known, is Father's Day. So I want to start off thanking our fathers with us this morning. Um, And I believe as a church, we are blessed to have many godly examples of fatherhood among us. Today's message, um, if you didn't guess, is going to be geared towards men and fathers. Um, But profitable for all, I'm sure as God's word always is. But let us remember that one of the big things to be celebrated today, um, aside from fatherhood itself, is the influence of fathers on society and the world. Church fathers, spiritual fathers, founding fathers, and all the marks that they leave, the love they provide, and the sacrifices that they sow. There is an account that I'd like to share with all of you, and it's likely an urban legend, so um, I don't know its accuracy, um, but here it is. Uh, Some time ago, a uh, a greeting card company offered free cards to inmates from a prison and to send to mothers on Mother's Day, and nearly all the prisoners took the offer and sent cards to their mothers. So... The greeting card companies was somewhat encouraged by this, by the success, and they decided that when they would make the same offer, when Father's Day came around, and they offered free cards to send to fathers on Father's Days, Father's Day, and they had zero takers. There was no one in the prison that wanted to send a card to his father on Father's Day. Now, I don't know how true that is, or what level of embellishment it may be, Um, for an entire prison, not one. I mean, I don't know. It could be 100% accurate. But most of us, if I told you this, which I just did, (laughs) uh, you wouldn't be really shocked and awed. More than likely. You'd probably feel like, oh, that's sad. But you probably would, I believe it. And while there are good fathers, the reason we would feel that way is that there are many, many distant, failing father figures in our culture. So we put billboards up to remind the public to be a father today because it can be forgotten. As some of you may be aware, um, the cartoons of my youth were in the 90s. So, and as I do everything I possibly can to, to raise my daughters and the capacity and the ability that God has given to me, um, the more I realize how much I dislike the children's programs of their generation. So what is a parent to do? Well, we sit down and we watch daddy's cartoons because they're better. So we sat down and watched one together uh, one morning. Uh, And this episode was one that was more daring, more heartwarming episode of the series. Um, And the plot revolved around the effects of April 1975 and the fall of Saigon and the end of the Vietnam War. The Christmas episode uh, revolved around the events of a secret Santa gift exchange, and the main character was partnered with a Vietnamese-American who was always very solemn and and very reflective um, around the holidays. And after some Q&A, he shares the story with him that long ago when he lived in a simple village in Vietnam um, with his family, namely his daughter, um, he had dreamed of a future with her. But trouble in the country led to fighting, coming closer and closer and closer to where they lived. And he knew that there was, this was no place for their child to grow. 
um, and soon food itself would be scarce. So he decided he would try to leave and get a better life. But everyone was trying to as well, if you're familiar with that event in history. In the mass confusion, he made it to the U.S. Embassy, but the only way, only way out was by helicopter, and there were too many people. And he begged the soldiers to take him and his daughter, but he couldn't. There was only room for one. So he made the hard decision of giving his daughter to the soldier, knowing that he would find her a home and someone to care for her. And as soon as he could, he would leave the country and find her again. As the helicopter left, the soldier cried out a name of a city, the city in which he now lived. But it took him 20 years to get there. Now, after, of course, you know, I wiped my tears from watching the cartoon, uh, the question arose in my mind is, if we were to give our child to someone else, what would we desire of them? We would want them under ideal fatherhood and motherhood. I would want somebody better than me. And again, I ask, what does that look like? Fatherhood the way it ought to be. And that's what we're going to be looking at today on this Father's Day. When God the Father sent his Son to dwell among us, he did so by being born of a woman. And while we would desire our children to be fathered by someone better than us, if we were gone, God had to bring his son into a faulty family and a fallen father. Yet God chose Mary and Joseph. God had created and built up Joseph to be a just man. And we can learn much from his actions. Not much is recorded of Joseph's life. Yet what is speaks volumes to fatherhood that is pleasing to God. And what we find is that sacrificial fathers, husbands and men, are the ones that live lives pleasing to God. So there are two ways we can listen to the message this morning. One, take it as a straightforward exhortation from the Word of God to fathers on how to live for their, life, for their wives and their children. Reflect on yourself. Reflect on your father. Reflect on your spiritual father or whomever. The other is to see it the way, to see the way that our Father in heaven fathers those who believe and follow his son. And I hope it's heard in both senses, both senses. especially as we're entering VBS this week. Uh, we should strive to introduce the beauty of God's fatherly love to those he is sending to us. So let's read our text together this morning. And it's found in Matthew 1, and we're going to be reading verses 18 through 25. Matthew 1. Verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put his wife to shame, or to put her to shame, excuse me, resolved to divorce her quietly, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. A familiar account to many of you, I'm sure. But in less than 200 words, the Bible speaks volumes into the person that would raise and care for the Son of God. And as we read it over and over and over and over again, in these eight verses, the word that bubbles to the surface is sacrifice. And oh, how I would have loved to sit across the table of this man and hear his expressions and his convictions that God had placed in his heart. But we have something pretty close, and that's God's word itself. So let's unfold before us the fatherly sacrifices of Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And the first thing that we see is the sacrifice of self. The sacrifice of self. Verse 18 and 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. When we read God's word, we need to understand that he is not lazy in his writing, nor in the events that he brings to pass. Why wasn't Joseph around when Mary received the news concerning Jesus? Would have cleared up a lot of misinterpretation here. Why was there a delay between Mary's divine revelation concerning the coming Messiah and Joseph? If one was here and one was here, why couldn't they have a revelation at the same exact time? That way when they meet each other, they're like... Ah, I know what's going on. Yeah, me too. Why did it come about before they were married? Why did it come about after their engagement? God intends to show and teach us something in the events that he has brought forth in Joseph's reaction to the news of Mary's pregnancy. This is the way it spans out is intentional. Why? Well, mainly, he was a just man. And this just man wanted out. He wanted out. They weren't married yet. There was no covenant bond between them before God, just a kind of, you know, public um, agreement. But it wasn't covenantal. Not yet, at least. And I can't imagine, nor do I want to, the pain that Joseph felt. The woman I love has betrayed me in the deepest way. Therefore, like many of us, he resolved to take the easier and less painful route in divorcing her quietly. It is less painful than to have to deal with this. I'm not dealing with this. And if he would went on his own way, and no one would hold it against him. The Bible calls Joseph a just man. He was a just man. But how often does God call us to live lives of higher measure? 
to be more than just men, to be more than that. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. Quite a dream, isn't it? Joseph's actions here speak volumes to what it means to sacrifice self as this soon-to-be father, husband, and man. And what we see first is a life owned by God. A life owned by God. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife. Joseph was perfectly justified in divorcing Mary before this dream. Before this dream. Not after. And you might say, wait, you know, I don't know. We start to read it. It doesn't really sound like a command, right? What is it? But he considered these things. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Do not fear. This sounds more of a counsel than a command. Right? Until we get to verse 21. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. For he will save people from their sins. We have Mary's part. She will bear a son. We have Joseph's part, you shall call his name Jesus. And then we have Jesus' part, he will save his people from their sins. Play your part, Joseph. Therefore, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. He sacrificed his own future or aspirations, or whatever he may have had for obedience to God. Obviously, if he resolved that he was going to divorce Mary, he had some type of backup plan. He put that on the altar and sacrificed that in obedience to God. Even though this route was the more painful route. This route was the more difficult route. Psalm 1, 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor seat, sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The worldly man does not listen to the command of God. They don't care. They do for themselves. It is the exact opposite of what Joseph did. Matthew 7 13 and 14, Jesus speaking. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it, enter by it, are many. They're many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. It is hard that leads to life. 
And those who find it are few. Parting ways with Mary was the easier choice. It was the less painful choice. It was the less burdensome choice. But it is not the godly choice. And it was not the choice that would have reflected sacrificial fatherhood. And how do we know sacrificial fatherhood is godly fatherhood? Just look at the greatest father. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You want to talk about sacrifice. Our sacrifices pale in comparison, don't they? But we are called to reflect our God. And Joseph's example shows us that his life was not his own to live. But it belongs to God. And that this call that God demands on all his people, he, he, can, he demands this of all of us, especially fathers. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body because you have been purchased. You are owned. You are not your own self. 1 Corinthians 7, 22 and 23. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when is called is a bondservant of Christ. A servant, a slave. You were bought with a price. This is not a negotiation. You are owned. Do not become bondservants of men. And this also means ourselves. We're men. Don't be a bondservant to yourself or any man, but to Christ, to his word. This is the final say, not your own thoughts. Your counsel does not surpass the word of the Lord. And this appeals to the second thing that we see, and that's a life lived for God. A life lived for God. We saw Joseph honor, and that even when he resolved to divorce Mary, he was thinking about her. He was unwilling, unwilling to shame her. So his resolution was to do it discreetly. The key mark of a godly man is a life owned by God and a life lived out for him. He lives for Christ. Jesus isn't even yet born, and yet Joseph was already living for Christ. He was a man owned by God, and he was obedient when the owner of his life commanded him to act and to sacrifice. Just as God calls all men, husbands and fathers, to act in sacrifice. 1 Corinthians 7, 4, For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Ephesians 5, 25-33, very, uh, very famous um, part of Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And this is the kicker right here. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. 
Will we obey the commands of the Lord? What this world so desperately needs is men who have sacrificed themselves to God so that God can use them and then give them back to His own people and this dying world for His own glory. And all men's and fathers and uncles and grandfathers and teachers and leaders and whatever category you fall in, we are to live for Christ in all that we do and through our sacrifices, point others to the one Father that's not going to let them down. But understand, it does not necessarily mean that our lives are all polished and put together. We're not called to always have the, the ideal life. And yet we can still be godly. Why? Because otherwise people lose hope. They're going to look at you and be like, I can't have a life like that. I'm already so screwed up. And not all of us are called to live that polished life. Instead, God may call us to live a life that because of sin, let's grow in our hatred of sin. Let's use these moments to grow our hatred of sin. We must sacrifice and suffer. If sin wasn't there, I wouldn't have to deal with this. But guess what? Sin is, so now i got to suffer and sacrifice. But I'm going to do it for the Lord. Yet hold tight, and in the midst of this suffering and sacrifice, we hold tight to God. We hold Him tight. And then people lose excuses, and they gain hope. His life isn't that great, but man, God strengthens him. How he holds so so tightly to his Savior. 1 Peter 4, 12-13. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. It's real rejoicing, not fake rejoicing. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That, again, grow in our hatred of sin and then grow in our aspirations for that glory to be revealed. The glory that is to come should be a realistic goal and drive of your life. And if it isn't, you need to start reading the Bible because it tells you over and over and over again that the hope that we have isn't that God's going to help me, God's going to give me peace. No, that God's coming. That's the real hope. When the glory is revealed. Brothers, the truths of God are not for the faint-hearted. They're not. They're for those who have tasted death and have been be reborn by the power of God. How do you think the church is going to move this nation and this world to God? How did Jesus do it? It wasn't with a polished life. Sinless, but he suffered. So we see how Joseph lived for Christ even before his incarnate birth in our second fatherly sacrifice of Joseph, which is the sacrifice of pleasure. The sacrifice of pleasure. Verse 25. Let's look at the beginning portion of that. So after he took his wife, but he knew her not, he knew her not, biblical language there, until she had given birth to a son. In marriage, physical relations are a gift of God in that union. It's a gift. It's a wedding gift for all time. 
It is to be celebrated and enjoyed as any father who gives a gift to their child delights when their child is enjoying the gift that they gave them. God gives us this gift of physical intimacy in marriage and he expects us to enjoy it. He likes it when we enjoy it under his guidelines the way it ought to be made and ought, ought to be done, right? It's a good thing. It is a good thing. Like our verse earlier, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husbands do not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And let's add one more to that. Hebrews 13, 4 and 5. Let marriage be held in honor among all. All. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. It's a gift that God gives. But yet, Joseph's restraint and commitment here provides a profound lesson in what sacrificial fatherhood is like. He sacrifices his own pleasures for the sake of his wife and child. And in so doing, what he's doing is he's ensuring the testimony of Jesus. He ensures the testimony of Jesus. If Joseph had not made this restraint, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ could very easily been called into question. And we need to realize this is a messianic prophecy that was not to be tampered with. The reason Joseph, the angel of the Lord, told Joseph, do not fear and take Mary for his, for his wife was because this was a fulfillment of this prophecy. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So during this time, Joseph's energy, his attention in sacrificing pleasure by restraining himself from God's gift of physical intimacy with his wife was for the good of Jesus' testimony. We, we, what we see from this is the fatherhood that pleases God not only sacrifices self, but it means for a call to sacrifice pleasures as well. A good, godly father, just as he is no longer the authority of his own body, but his wife is, also sacrifices the pleasures of this world for the betterment of his children. They are unwilling, <coughs> excuse me, and it, it's sad that there are fathers who are unwilling and incapable of sacrificing pleasures and vices for the good of their wives and children. They're, they're, they live for themselves instead of Christ. They're incapable and unwilling because they haven't submitted. They're, they just live for me and me and me. And therefore, they live more for their own pleasures and their families. That's how it is. That's our culture. And the men of God shall not live in such a manner. Well, then how should the men of God live? Romans 14 Verse 13, and then I'll jump down to 19 through 23. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. This is Paul. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block, any or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Jump down to 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Let's do things that build people up. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. And this is the context that he was talking about, but it's applicable to much more. All food is clean, but it is wrong for the person. It is wrong. He uses a strong word there. It is wrong for the person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better... It is better, 
We're going to get to that word in a moment. Not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything, anything at all that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whether you believe, so what, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever doubts, whoever has doubts, is condemned. If you doubt and you do it, you're condemned. If you eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. The old saying, when in doubt, throw it out, in terms of food in the fridge and all that good stuff. Well, if you have a doubt whether you should do an activity or whatever it may be, and you do it, what is Paul saying? It's a sin. It, it, it's a sin. Whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat or whatever it may be because eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. If you have a doubt about something, abstain from it. Simple as that. That's the counsel to one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. Verse 13, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother or sister. Don't put a stumbling block in front of your children. Who could be more precious brother and sister in Christ than them? In front of your wives, in front of your loved ones, in front of the brotherhood. Don't do it. You are to sacrifice pleasures because you're not entitled to them, by the way. We're not entitled to pleasure. We're entitled to hell. But we're not entitled to pleasures. But you're to sacrifice pleasures not because they're bad in and of themselves, right? Joseph, Joseph's pleasure was legitimate. That's his wife. It's a gift of God. But you are to sacrifice pleasures be, because it merely causes a risk. If it merely causes a risk to another person. You may enjoy that pleasure and nothing negative comes out of it. Great. Hooray. Joseph may have enjoyed his wife during this period of time and no one in history brought up or questioned Jesus' virgin birth. Great. But that's not what Paul's counsel is. That's not what Paul's teaching. And that's not the point of jo Joseph's abstaining from relations with his wife until Jesus was born. Because with Paul's counsel is in two parts. He says in verse 20, it is wrong, it's wrong, there's no maybe, it's wrong. It's wrong if it does. If it does cause someone to stumble, it's wrong. Meaning don't do it. If you're partaking in something that causes stumbling, stop it. It's wrong. Stop it. Very simple. And if what you're doing makes a believer less godly, stop it. It's wrong. But he continues, and I, and I love this. He just, he takes the word of God and he just takes it to a whole nother level, just like Jesus does when he says that we hate in our hearts, we've already committed murder. He says, stop it if it's wrong, but that, we can't stop there. Again, God calls us to a higher measure of life. If there is a mere risk risk in partaking in them, they should be abstained from. They should be, you shouldn't do it. Just stay away from it. It's not worth it. Verse 21, it is better. It is better, meaning there is a better way to go. Avoiding the risk is better than doing it. It's better than taking the risk and letting the cards fall where they fall. That is not Paul's counsel. Paul's counsel is just don't stay away from it. 
We should never be content by just being challenged by God's word, but to be changed by God's word. A real world example of this. It is because of Romans 14 that I have my own conviction of completely abstaining from alcohol. And I work with many people who surprisingly have not been deeply moved by Romans 14. It happens. And I walked into a conversation with a couple of coworkers, and I ended up, throughout the conversation, they ended up asking me why I don't consume alcohol. And my answer to them was founded on Romans 14, whether they realized it or not, probably not. And I told them, alcohol in and of itself isn't sinful. It's, there's verses that you know, support God made all things, all things are clean, um, but drunkenness is. I mean, that's pretty clear. Believe it or not, it's in the Bible, drunkenness, that's a no-no. Uh, and they actually nodded in agreement with me. Yeah, you know, we, we can understand that. Great. Um, but the reason I abstain from it entirely is that alcohol is built in it and has the intention in our culture to be used in a sinful way. You can go to other cultures and it's completely different. The culture of the Bible was completely different. American culture, come on, it is not. It's meant really for one purpose. So, I'm willing to sacrifice a pleasure, and this is what I told him, I'm willing to sacrifice a pleasure God has made available to me to avoid the risk of ever leaving a negative example for my wife and children. My wife and children and those in my realm of influence will never see me committing the sin of drunkenness because I never risk it, period. And how I love when people, ignorant of God, are profoundly confronted with his word. You should have seen their faces. They were mostly women I was speaking to, and I saw it in their faces. They, just this, this longing for godly influence and leadership in their own lives. I, I probably blew their minds. Not because I said anything you know, extravagant, but they probably never heard it before in their life. And they didn't even realize it, that I was Romans 14. Men, in everything we do, have the, we have the opportunity to point people to the greatest leader there is, Jesus Christ. Don't squander those opportunities for simple pleasures. When the psalmist says in Psalm 16, 11, you make known to me the path of life, in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I'll put these aside if I get that one. And a, a quote that I just cherish, I hold it close to my heart by Leonard, Leonard Ravenhill. An experience of God that costs nothing, does nothing, and is worth nothing. An experience of God that costs nothing, does nothing, and is worth nothing. Don't just be challenged by the word of God. Be changed by it. Don't just settle, man, that was riveting. No, I'm not going to stop there. God, you need, to, you need to completely flip me upside down. Be a people broken by the power of God who weep over the word. And the, Lord, this is just too hard. I can't bear the weight of holiness that this book is calling me to do. It's just too much. If I do what you're saying, it's, not, it's too painful. It's too hard. It's going to crush me. 
But then we get 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight. It is a weight. I love the word. It's an eternal weight of glory. Again, seeking that glory that's coming. Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. They're eternal. Don't just read the Word of God. It comes alive when you're face to face with it. When you see it move in your life. How hard is a life that you don't have the Word of God to run to in your darkest moments? So what an example that Joseph left for us in ensuring the testimony of Jesus, but he also honors the condition of Mary. Mary is likely going through quite an experience. First time pregnant, never been with a man, and after nine months, he's going to have to deliver the Messiah. A lot in one, in one, 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 one go. Joseph honor, Joseph's honor removed the unnecessary pre- pressures from Mary during this period. And Joseph embodied Peter's counsel in 1 Peter 3.7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Pleasing fatherhood before God is one that reflects the fatherhood of God. Fatherhood that brought his son into this world that he might die for his people. Fatherhood that acts in accordance with Psalm 84. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Men, we have a large role to play. We do. Because if one man came into the world and flipped it on its head, what should be expected of his followers? There's a lot more of us. Joseph sacrificed much pleasures in his sacrificial fatherhood, but he also brought forth the sacrifice of time. The sacrifice of time. The second half of verse 25. So he knew her not until she gave birth to a son. And what's the end? And he called his name Jesus. And he called his name Jesus. So much significance in these few words. And he, Joseph, called his name Jesus. That means something. He accepted him. Joseph accepted Jesus as his son. And with that, we see the sacrifice of time in the dispensation of resources. In the dispensation of resources. In Matthew's gospel, right before this account that we just read for our text today, we have the genealogy of Jesus. And by Joseph naming Christ, he solidified, by naming him Jesus, he solidified his position in his family line. What's his family line? The line of David, of Judah, of Jacob, of Isaac, and Abraham. Fulfilling another prophecy. A father in God's eyes does not live for himself. He lives for God. And the people that God has entrusted to him. Joseph put on the altar a sacrifice of time and resources for the role that God had given him. Because it was to Joseph... Not Mary, but to Joseph that God would now address. Matthew 2, 13 through 14. Now when they had departed, this is the wise men, they departed. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. Matthew 2, 19 through 21. But when Herod died, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, 
Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Matthew 2, 22-23. And when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he's a dreamer, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in the city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Joseph, in the early parts of Jesus' life, fulfilled so many messianic prophecies. What a role for his life, for his sacrifice. He moved to Egypt. He worked in Egypt. He left the, he left the pleasures and roots he may have had there and moved back to Israel. And then he feared the murder of Jesus, his son. Good fathers are called to bear the weight of, their, of the family headship and sacrifice time and resources in doing so. But also, not only in the dispensation of, of resources, but in the dispensation of rearing. In the dispensation of rearing. We know the account of Jesus at the temple at the age of 12. I'm sure many of you are familiar with that. A knowledgeable young man that flourished under the leadership of Mary and Joseph. What does the perfect father do? What does God do when he saves us? When we become his child through the adoption, what does he do? He pours himself into us. Ephesians 1.13 In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. There you go. Adoption. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. As soon as you become a child of God, he pours all of himself into you in the Holy Spirit. Then likewise, earthly fathers are called to sacrifice time in the dispensation of rearing children, in nourishment of their wives, in pouring themselves into them. Our children are gifts from the Lord. Humans, souls, he entrusts to our care. And while he allows us to take part in their creation, we are not their designer. We are, nor are we their author. Psalm 139, for you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. We're not doing the knitting. God is. All children of the world truly aren't ours, but they're God's. They're a gift, a treasure to protect and sacrifice for because of the one who owns our lives. And let us take that reminder into the coming week when this church will be filled with those of whom the, God, the Lord God has made. So what more can we take from this reflection of God's word in our application? Well, the first is to commune with God. Commune with God. You know, it, it may surprise many of you, but you're not perfect. I know that. I know that's a shock. You can cry later. Actually, I'm being, I'm being nice. Jesus is blunt. Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much, will you, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus just called you evil. That's from the master himself. You and I are evil. We're evil. And the only good thing about us is that God indwells us. So how do we perform this high calling of sacrificial fatherhood? John 15, 5-8. 
This is Jesus speaking. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. That means everything you've done outside of Christ is worthless. It's kindling to be burned. I don't care what it is. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Why commune with God? You can't do anything without him. You can't produce the fruit of sacrificial fatherhood and prove to be Jesus' disciples and glorify your Father in heaven without spending a concentrated effort with the Father of all fathers. You really think you can do the things that Joseph did and be sacrificial in your life on your own? Good luck. Because Jesus says, even if you do a good job, it's just going to be burned. Do yourselves, your family, your children, your wives, your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, the greatest service, and be men marked by the presence of God, by communing with him. Also, practice a sacrificial leadership, a sacrificial leadership. And this isn't easy. Sacrifice isn't easy. But follow our Lord into the garden and wage war with the inclinations that keep you from living for Christ. Wage war on it. Understand this. Sacrifice means you lose. It means you lose. Maybe not ultimately, because God will take care of all injustice in the end, but at this moment, you lose. You see the importance of communing with God? 1 Peter 2, 19. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. You lose. And this is what leads to sacrificial leadership. And, it looks, and what it looks like is our third one, which is expressing delight, express delight. Consistently and convincingly express delight in your church, in your wife, in your children. Proverbs 5.18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. And that also means the children that are granted to you. The people of God have allowed, the people God have allowed you to have influence over at work, school, church, wives, children, family, etc. They yearn to see your delight. Your delight. And that's hard. Men know. Brothers, you know. It, it is not always easy to showcase a perfect example of delight. But that's what we're called to do. And you want to do it on your own. Yeah, good luck. And this foundation, the, the way we do it, the way we are able to express delight, it comes from God's delight in us. That's where it originates. And it drives us to be like how God is to us, to our children, and to our wives, and to our loved ones. We go to watch a child's game so that they can see our delight in them. And for the last one, I'll speak for as many men as I can, since I've already spoiled any sense of toughness by tearing up in front of all of you in times past, so I'll take that. Women, love your sensitive husbands. <laughs> love your sensitive husbands. We are not as tough as we seem. We're not. 
And I think sometimes God made us naturally bigger and muscular and all these things. And the same reason animals show teeth in the wild and puff up to get bigger. And that's to look bigger and scarier and get rid of threats. So, you know, we, we, it's almost the same thing. I don't know. But a man who has submitted himself to Christ, as I hope we all do, we're going to become naturally vulnerable. Sacrifice and allowing your life to be owned by God is a vulnerability. But Christ encourages us that you gain your life by doing that. But it's still vulnerable. You cannot perform the sacrifices of self, pleasure, and time, everything we talked about, and still be made of granite. So what does Jesus teach? Build it on the granite. Me. If you build it on me, you'll be fine. So I'll leave you with this reflection. While men are to be the most sacrificial in their leadership and called to love their wives, women are to be the most influential in their submission and called to respect their husbands. I'll say that again. While men are, are to be the most sacrificial in their leadership and, and called to love their wives, women are to be the most influential in their submission and call to respect their husbands. Men are called to sacrifice primarily. We all, we all share gifts. We're all, there's neither male nor female, but there's roles to play. And men are called to be sacrificial leaders. And women are the most influential people on the planet. God ordained it and, and framed it that way, and it's beautiful. There's a reason God ordained the church, the bride of his son, to influence the world under his leading. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And he will exult over you with loud singing. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, how wonderful it is to be able to say that. That you are our heavenly, gracious, unchanging Father. How often when we are broken, we just want to be in the arms and under the wings of our Father. Our Father that never leaves us. Our Father that cares for us. Our, our Father that gave his own Son so that he may redeem us unto himself. Lord, this morning, we thank you for these holidays that cause us to pause and celebrate and reflect things that are important in, in humanity and, and, and in the world. And Father, I pray that you bless the families here today. I pray that you bless everyone in this church in whatever capacity you have for them. Father, I ask your blessing on our future as a church and that we always are under the leadership and headship of our Heavenly Father who is perfect. Father, take these words, take your lessons of your word, which is difficult many times and branded into our hearts and into our minds so that we may not only be challenged by your word but be changed by it and we pray in the name of your son jesus amen